0: Welcome back to Foster Adopt Minnesota's Let's Talk, a podcast that brings you valuable resources for prospective and current adoptive and foster families as well as professionals. My name is Sunny, and I am an education
1: coordinator here at Foster Adopt Minnesota. And I'm Chris, also an education coordinator here at FAM. Today we are chatting with TJ
0: Hewitt. TJ has been a licensed independent clinical social worker at a metro high school for the past 22 years, as well as a part-time crisis therapist in a metro-based emergency department. Previously, he has worked in a mental health state hospital and also in a mental health inpatient hospital unit. TJ believes that the holidays can be a great time to gather, share,
1: celebrate, and remember. DJ, thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome to our show.
2: Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, we're excited to
0: have you. So we really appreciate you being here.
2: Thank you. Yep. Hopefully um, I'm able to provide some insights and give some good feedback for people who are listening.
1: Yeah, looking forward to it. So let's get started. So the title of this podcast is The Gifts We Can Give Our Youth Over the Holidays. What is your definition of a gift?
2: You know, that's a good question. I don't know that I thought a whole lot about that before this podcast, but I think it's the tools and experiences that we give our youth so that they can develop and grow in healthy ways. You know, like when we're thinking outside the box a little bit. Like a lot of us will think about gifts as just physical objects that we give kids. But I really think about, you know, the experiences. And part of what brings me to that a little bit is when I did my Um, clinical education and social work I was trained in object relations theory and object relations theory kind of I'll try to give like a really basic explanation of it hopefully I do a service to it and don't offend one of my former professors but
1: (laughs) uh, you're fine (laughs) um,
2: yeah Um, the idea behind it is is that when we're born we're an extension of mom or in, in some cases our primary caregiver but usually mom's our primary caregiver right and so everything that we know about the world is what we see and experience through with mom because when we're an infant we're just born we can't feed ourselves we can't clothe ourselves we can't change ourselves we're totally dependent on mom so we're just so we see ourselves as an extension of mom right and so However mom deals with the outside world is what we learn to be true and significant about the world. And so until about the age of five, aside from maybe a few siblings or a little bit of dad or however that plays in your family structure, that's all you know about the world, right? Those are all your experiences, everything, that every problem you're going to deal with, every solution you have is what you've seen mom, dad, maybe some siblings do. And how you're going to deal with that is how you saw them deal with it. Right. And so that's what you believe to be true. And then at the age of five, you have some introduction to maybe a teacher, maybe some peers, but you have five years of ingrained experiences. So now you're getting introduced to some more experiences. And the idea is like over time, you might start to see some of that, but it's going to, you're going to, over time, you're going to start to be able to use those experiences, and incorporate them into like what you think, to be true about the world, but it takes a while before you can override some of the earlier ones that you've had because with, with mom and dad, because they've had five years of constant um you know time with you, right? And so we're constantly growing, we're constantly taking in, and the more, the more experiences we have, the more people that we're around, the more truths we start to believe about the world. And And maybe I'll I'll, hopefully I'll be able to explain more about that as we go through here. But the gifts when I'm talking about the gifts that we give our youth is we're giving them healthy, good, common sense experiences that help them grow and develop in healthy ways.
1: That's a great way to look at another definition of a gift. Really? Thank you. Yeah. What can parents do to help school professionals understand their children's challenges during the holidays?
2: I think one thing to remember is that, again, if we're looking at how I describe object relations, if we look at it backwards from the teacher's perspective, right, particularly I'm in high school, and so we think about how much time does every high school teacher have with a student? Probably about 48 minutes. So, their knowledge of that student is very limited and they're delivering curriculum and trying to get through curriculum throughout the day. So there's very little one-to-one interaction. So we don't know a lot about those kids. We don't know their struggles. We don't know their history. We don't know their background. And sometimes there's little things that we see and how they behave or how they respond to transitioning or just questions that, Let us know, maybe they could use a little bit of help outside the classroom. And so, other professionals like social workers, school counselors, deans, um, administrators, different people maybe will spend some more time with that student in their downtimes, like their study halls, their passing times before school, after school, things like that. But we really know very little about them. So, the things I would tell teachers or parents, excuse me, parents is communicate as much as you can with you know, the educational staff, come to conferences, get their emails. Sometimes teachers maybe give you texts or or allow you to text them. If you have their phone number and they allow you to call and leave them messages, but share like the things the kids are going through. Kids oftentimes are not going to tell you these things and they're not, and oftentimes they don't have one-on-one time with you. So they're not going to share it in front of all their peers. Right. But if you know some of the struggles that they're having at home, you can start to provide accommodations you can start to like take away some of the stressors that might be in a normal school day. Like, you know, maybe you can give them lighter assignments. Maybe they're responsible for less of the problems on the assignment. And you're really just trying to get them to the point of understanding concepts and developing mastery. So if they have the skills to be successful after school, but you're not compounding or contributing to their everyday struggles and problems that they're dealing with. And some kids have so much more going on at home than we know, you know, even like, and I know this is one I come up against is I know there's a lot of kids who don't have a lot of food at home, but they're not going to tell you that. Right. And so how do you find them? How do you identify them? How do you find ways to get those things to them? And so I would just ask parents, you're the one with the skills. You're the one with the knowledge. You're the one that has the, you know, the ability to communicate one-on-one with those school staff, you know, do it, please do it. That's, what's going to help a kid. So do you,
0: do you think that kids can advocate for themselves as well? Or do they ever do that? Or are they just too embarrassed?
2: Oh, I think kids can definitely advocate for themselves. But I think there's a lot of things to get in the way. Like I talked about, like the time, you know, if they if they can find ways, because the school day is very structured, right? Like, so there's, you know, at Burnsville High School, there's seven periods in a day. There's 48 minutes to a class. They get five minute passing time in between classes and a 20 minute watch, right? So, when are they catching that teacher alone to share that? And if they have six or seven teachers in a day, when are they gonna catch, when will they have caught all six or seven teachers alone to share that? And that's really, I think that's just really hard to do, even if you catch them alone. Now, how do you create the environment and the mood to, like, hey, by the way, here's something I'm struggling with? So, I don't know that they can advocate for themselves, but all the things we're expected to do in schools these days, I don't know if the environment lends itself to all those things, you know. So but once we know about them, we can start to change the environment and create those opportunities. So, for example, you know, sometimes maybe I come across that knowledge and I'll share just basic information. I, I try never to share details, but I might say to a teacher, you know, this student has some things going on at home and maybe here's a recent stressor, like maybe like, you know, uh, dad moved out. And I'm not giving details about why or anything like that, but just keep that in mind. But now that teacher is aware and can start to have create those private moments to have those conversations like, how are you feeling today? Are you going to be able to get to your work? How much work can you get to? Let's negotiate what you're going to be responsible for. If you can't do it, how are you going to show me that you have mastery and you, you understand the concepts? Can we just have a conversation about what we did today? You know what I mean? So that now, there's, now that kid doesn't feel like they're falling behind and that student is learning. Like when I talked about, you know, um, the object relations theory, this is now a positive experience that they're taking into their, you know, they're internalizing and they're starting to realize how they can replicate it and use it in different areas of their lives again. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Thank you for that. Okay. So conversely you, um, you just talked about what parents can do to help school professionals understand. So conversely, what? do school professionals want parents to know about their role in helping youth?
2: Well, I think I kind of spoke on it a little bit already, but I just remember that we see them for such a small window of time in their lives, right? And it's different in elementary where maybe a teacher has them all day. And so they really, really get to know their kids. But in the high school, you know, we have classes anywhere from 35 to, and some five classes I've seen as high as 60, 60 kids in a class. And you're, you're switching, you know, you have seven periods that you're teaching in one prep period. So, you know, you might see hundreds of kids in a day. How do you, how do you, I think it's amazing that, that they can remember all their names and know so much about them, but how do they, how do they really know details about these kids lives to make differences? Right. I'm, every every teacher has some kids that they make a connection with and the kids kind of seek them out or the staff maybe you know pays more attention to them. I mean, that always happens, but there's definitely, there's not enough time that they do that with all kids. There's 2,400 kids in my high school. And, and between, I think there's a hundred staff that's and not even all of them are teachers. Right. So out of a hundred staff, I mean, there's just, Our window of time to really get to know kids is small, I guess is what I'm saying.
0: Okay, Okay. so that's good to keep in mind. Um, So what can we do to support the youth as they move from a structured day to free time and then suddenly back to a structured day?
2: Yeah, well, so the way in which I see that affect kids the most is their mental health, right? And so when I think of mental health, The best things that we can do is diet, exercise, routine, um, and then interaction with others, right? And so the other thing that I want to talk a little bit about, too, with that is, is that when we're thinking about object relations, too, and all the things that mom is doing or the primary caregiver is doing and that, infant is absorbing and as we get older we absorb more and more and we become more and more independent we start to make that separation from mom and we see ourselves as our independent self right and so we're thinking about as they make that clean split from mom and they see themselves as an independent self let's think about the frontal lobe now which is responsible for memory cognition um problem solving you know um social interaction right that doesn't develop in kids particularly boys until 21 to 23 and girls 19 to 22 somewhere in there and so that frontal lobe is all those things that we need to like really be functional as our independent self so i guess what i was going to say here is be their surrogate frontal lobe right like provide that structure provide that routine talk about you know their diet, make sure they're eating right, make sure they're getting enough exercise. So put them into those situations where they're doing it. Don't just assume that they they're going to be able to do that. And they're going to know what to do. Like the school day is very structured. So that's happening anyways. But when all of a sudden that's taken away, you know, what I saw in COVID, I saw, you know, we're asking kids who don't have this frontal lobe development yet parents were going to work on their computers or if, if they're lucky enough to stay home or they're going into work and kids were home alone and they were expected to have that structure, that independent structure to provide and hold themselves accountable. They were waking up in bed, turning on their computer, turning off their camera because they're in bed. And then they, they weren't even separating themselves from, you know, like they maybe stayed up till four o'clock and they're in bed and they're still sleeping and they're trying to like, all of a sudden have their class. And they weren't even providing those changes that kind of helped the brain understand that we're transitioning from one thing to the next. And so I would tell kids all the time, you got to set an alarm, you got to get up and take a shower, take a walk outside before you have your first class so that your brain understands I'm shifting from this to that. Right. And so kids just don't have that ability at this point. And during the school, they we were able to provide that for them because the bell rings and we are saying, okay, go into your next class. They have a schedule on their phone or they have a hard copy. If they're not there, someone's in the hall, redirect them, telling them where to get right? So those things are happening in school. Uh, you know, at home, it's during COVID. I shouldn't say it. During COVID, anyways, it was really hard for them. And we've all heard about those, those kids that struggle with that before COVID. You know, maybe you had the kid who got all A's and B's in school. And they graduated, we had high expectations for them, and they got their first job, and then they got fired a few months later, or they went to college and they had a really bad freshman year, and everyone's just kind of going, What happened? But really, what happened is, do, do they have the frontal lobe development to provide that independent structure for themselves, right? And a lot of those kids go back a year or two later and do fantastic because that's the, the frontal lobe catches up with them and they're able to do it. And so I think. Just if you can, be that surrogate frontal lobe for them until they have the ability to do it themselves because executive functioning is as much about practice as it is about development.
0: That is a great answer. And I love that. I'm going to have to steal that surrogate frontal lobe. (laughs) Love it. It is. All right. (laughs) So, conversely, um, so you were talking about structure. So conversely, what can, what habits can we help youth maintain while giving them the opportunity to decompress and relax and rejuvenate?
2: Yeah. So one really, really know your, you really know your kid, right? So pay attention to them. Like, what things do you think they need? Right. So obviously like it's holidays and some of the structure is gone and we just like we need to do, you need some time to like sleep in. Watch the shows you want to watch. Maybe, maybe for kids nowadays a little different. They gotta be instead of watching the shows, watch their YouTube channels or go on their social media and scroll through their stuff. But be careful not to let them get consumed in it, right? So allow them time to do the things that they need to do to reconnect, especially if they're like they've been really stressed out with school and haven't, you know, haven't had time to connect with their friends. Give them the time to do that stuff, but at the same time. Don't forget that they have to maintain some routines. Like I'll see kids that, you know, over the holidays, they'll just get way out of whack. They'll they'll stay up till five, six in the morning. Then they'll sleep. They maybe don't even have contact with their family because they're sleeping throughout the day and they're getting back up at night. And then they're coming back to school and they're trying to function and they couldn't sleep the night before they came back to school. And they're like, you know, they're trying to stay awake in their class and they're trying to remember things that they're learning and, it's real easy to get out of that routine, and it's okay It's okay to get out of the routine to rejuvenate and relax and decompress, but we have to maintain some of that routine, right? Like, we, we can't do it so much that it's so hard to get back. And an example I'll give kids sometimes is I'll say, we got seven days for spring break. You're going to go to Florida because you want to get to warm weather. Takes you two days to drive to Florida. How much time do you get to spend in Florida for spring break? And kids almost always say five. I say, what about your two days driving back? Right? If it took you two days to drive there, it's going to take you two days to drive back. And so think about that when you're getting out of your routine. How long have you been out of your routine? How much time is it going to take you to get back? You don't just get back in the routine midnight on Sunday before you go back to school on Monday. Right?
1: Yeah, and it doesn't get any easier because we're we're recording this on a Monday after a holiday weekend. <laughs> <laughs> You've had your first day back at school, and we were at work, and I'm tired.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Probably should have thought about this on a Sunday and Saturday. <laughs> Good tips. Thank um, you. So, TJ, we have um, a large majority of our l- listeners are foster families. So how can parents help youth from hard places feel included in holiday celebrations?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, whatever, whatever history you can get when you adopt is try to get it. And one is try really hard not to take away from that kid's history that they remember, you know, embrace it, celebrate it, help them remember it, but also introduce them to yours. Don't, don't push them you know, they're, they're part of your family now too, right? And so this is going to be a part of their history eventually too, is allow them to be included as much as possible. Try to, try to get them included whenever you can, but don't push them, let them come at their own pace. And if it's hard and it's difficult for them to do that, don't give up and just allow them to not be a part of it. Right. So you got to find that good balance. And so I think that, you know, you introduce them to as much culture and tradition and whatever things it is you do when you celebrate over the holidays, whatever those holidays mean to you and, and try to encourage them to be a part of it. Like give them some responsibilities in it. maybe it's the, the preparations If you're hosting, cleaning the house, maybe it's taking part in the cooking. Maybe it's, in, you know, and learning about those traditional recipes and those traditional foods and stuff like that. And if they bring up like well, this is what I used to do. This is what I used to have. Try to incorporate that. Let them share their past family with this current family. All right. that's I a love good idea. that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. The the blending of the two, the past history and then their new history that they're making. They're, yeah. That's um, lovely that you acknowledge that. I think a lot Thank of you. foster kids feel, you're welcome. A lot of, Foster kids feel like they have to leave that behind. So that's great advice.
2: I think the other thing too is you got to remember these kids are dealing with a lot of grief and they have, they probably have a history of trauma. And so allowing them those times and those moments to grieve and recognizing where they're at in that process. But then also just because they're grieving doesn't mean they can't experience joy, right? So give them those new opportunities for joy whenever you can.
1: Yeah, and that the expectations don't have to be there, like just because doing this, like trimming the tree, whatever, cutting a tree down just makes you happy doesn't mean this is going to make other people happy. And
2: Right. And me and my wife have that conversation all the time (laughs) when she puts up crazy (laughs) decorations everywhere, it takes five days to do it, and I'm saying, I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) You might want to edit that out in case she listens
1: yeah Uh, well what are some activities that parents can do with their children and teens over the holiday break
2: yeah well I think I spoke on that a little bit but one make sure you interact with them right I'll I'll talk with kids all the time and this always blows my mind because I'm in a a high school level but I'll say to kids as they're struggling or maybe they're talking about what they're going to do next and I'll say well what does your mom do oh, uh, I don't, I don't know. What does your dad do for work? I'm not sure. So then I go on the questions like, well, are they home when you're waking up? Do they leave for the day? Do they leave in the morning? Do they leave in the afternoon? Are they gone eight hours? Are they gone 12 hours, you know, and I'm just always surprised that kids oftentimes don't know what their parents do. And so how, how are you supposed to be able to figure out like what kind of things you might like, what kind of things you might enjoy. What, you know, is this, is this a good career path for me? Are these things that give me, you know, enough spending power to be happy and to do the things that I want? So I guess what I'm saying is get to know your kids, take this time to interact with them, have structured conversations with them, play some board games, maybe reduce that screen time as much as you can. But remember, that's probably their most the thing that brings them the most joy. So don't take it away from them, right? Let them have their joy, but when they're not doing it, try to get them involved with everyone that's around and the things that you're doing. And like I said earlier, give them some tasks and, you know, holidays aren't just sitting around. Like there's a lot of work that goes in the holidays. Right. So let them take part in that. That's how they learn the traditions. That's, that's where they have the real conversations one-on-one with us. That's how we really get to know them. So Push them into those moments.
1: And I think people will love that idea because it's very inexpensive and simple <laughs> once you think about it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, TJ, what are some things that schools try to do for youth around the holidays?
2: Well, one of the some of the things that we try to do at Burnsville High School, particularly like in my role, we have two social workers in the building. And there's then we have six counselors and there's other like support staff as well. But a lot of times, and, and the, oh, excuse me, the other support staff that we, that we include is uh, cultural liaisons. So we have specific staff that work partic- with specific cultures that, so they know those experiences and know their traditions and they get to know those families really well. Um, but we often come up against um, things where these, you know, when we get to know these families that we find out areas they're struggling in. It might be finances, it might be food resources, you know all these things that that make it really hard for a kid to come to school and learn and so what can we do whenever we can and particularly around the holidays to take some of those stresses away from those families and those kids and so we've we've been lucky enough that the vikings have reached out to us last year and this year and partnered with our high school uh, about providing turkey dinners um this year, it was uh, Bynum, I can't think of his first name right now, but um, one of the D-backs for the Vikings bought 200 turkey dinners. And then we contacted families that we had some insights into that they might be struggling, whether it was through to cultural liaisons, the counselors or the social workers that maybe had other ways of identifying they might have some needs, and asking them if they would be interested in picking up a donated turkey dinner. We've also had some local churches that have donated some um, non-perishable turkey dinners with gift cards to go out and buy the turkeys or whatever meat you might prefer to um, my co-worker, uh, Michelle Morrissey, the other social worker at the high school. And we were able to do another 50 families that way. And so um, just connecting with those families and, and getting those resources out to them One of the things that I've noticed though, and I talked a little bit earlier about like how kids don't always share these struggles. Right. So as we're calling the parents, we're calling the families, we're saying like, like we have this dinner that's donated. You are a family that's kind of came up to us that might benefit from it. Are you interested in it? Um, And they, they, they're great that, you know, they graciously accept it. They're very excited about it. They thank us for thinking of them. And then the kid doesn't want to take it home right? They don't want to, I don't know if they don't want to be seen with it. I don't know if they want to be tasked with it. I don't know if they feel like they don't need it, but there's, so there's something about youth not wanting to come out and say, I really have this struggle, right? And so we have to figure out other ways to get those things home. And when we share resources, it doesn't always get home through the kids. So maybe like I'm share with the I might give a, a list of you know, places where they can get free meals or or food pantries or, you know, other resources where they can get things that might lessen those stressors at home. And oftentimes I have to like give it directly to the parent in order for it to get home. One thing I'm really happy about though, is we have free breakfast and free lunches, right? So kids now are getting meals twice a day I'm still surprised the number of kids that might be identified as benefiting from the usual resources still don't eat the school lunch though. I don't know where that comes from or why. But it's always surprises me. So there are things that I think you know we don't fully understand about the kids and maybe the struggles they're going through or or how it bothers them or how it affects them. But I think whenever we have the opportunity to give things to those families to help them out. I always try to do it.
1: Great. And you made such a good point earlier too about how little time a lot of teachers have with their students compared to like elementary age. I didn't really think about that all that much. So these little things, extra and extra counselors and social workers and cultural workers are really important.
2: Yeah, and I think about, you know, like, when you have that student in front of you all day and your class sizes are probably a little smaller in elementary school. I know we do try to cap, cap them at lower levels in our district. Um, You do get to know those kids better. And it's just so hard when you get to the junior high and you start to have that passing time and you're seeing multiple kids um, different times that day. And, And maybe, you know, if you're lucky, you maybe have them in two classes during a school day, but I doubt, There's very many teachers that would have them more than twice. And so it's just really hard to get that, to build that relationship that has the strength and the trust and, and just the understanding to go to that next level. Right. And I think that like you, you mentioned the school counselors and the social workers and and maybe the cultural liaisons and sometimes administrators who get to spend more time routinely with those kids are able to do that. But even then, if you think about our high school, we have 2,400 students. We have two social workers, six counselors, four administrators. And I think we have two cultural liaisons in the building and maybe one or two more that have part-time in there. So we're talking about 12, 14 people trying to make those connections with the 2,400 kids. And, and of those 2,400 kids, a lot of them, most of them are, I mean, they're... Maturing adults that have the foundational skills and the the things they need at home and the resources that they're, they're doing great. But there's a number that don't, right? There's a number that have awesome parents, but there are stressors at home that we aren't aware of and that we can't help mitigate that stress if we don't know that it's happening. And so there's so many, I know there's so many unidentified kids in every building. And I think it's good to keep that in mind because the more we're aware of that, and the more of the rest of us out there that have knowledge of that, we can start to be that resource, right? We can have that empathy. We can we can give of our time. We can give of our experiences. We can share the things. It's going to help them grow and mature and become responsible, contributing members of society.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh. On that note, (laughs) that's a wonderful, no, that's wonderful to hear. So very inspiring. Um, Just really quickly though, if someone who's not necessarily a a Vikings player, but somebody wanted to help out, who should they contact at the school?
2: Yeah, I think, um, well, I would start with, you can always reach out to the social workers, myself, TJ Hewitt or Michelle Morrissey. You can ask for a counselor. just note that probably the best path is probably to ask for one of the building administrators because even if it comes to us we're going to have to go through them to make sure it's approved like we did have stuff donated to the church several churches and they and churches do that stuff all the time which is fantastic right but we also don't want to create a situation that makes someone feel uncomfortable so we have to be really careful about how stuff's donated and how we present it and i'll just share an example in the schools we have places like where maybe we when we have to evacuate the building right and so we have identified places we would go to and one elementary school one time practiced an evacuation and they go they go to a church across the street well some some families of another culture learned of this and they felt like we that the school was trying to indoctrinate their kids with with christianity Right. So we always have to be careful that we're not providing an unexpected moment that allows a particular group to target and solicit information to people. Right. So it's great that churches and it's great that other places donate, but we also can't invite them to those places later. We also can't ask them to join stuff. You know, like that's something that we have to allow our students and families to seek out on their own if they want to.
0: Well, TJ, thank you for being here today. We completely, thoroughly enjoyed having you here.
1: Yes, yep. it was so great.
2: Yes, thank you. I've never done anything like this before. So this is this was helpful for me, making me step outside of my box a little bit and expand my, my comfort zone.
1: Wow, and well, now you're going to be... Yeah, you'll be the cool guy at work, like yeah, right. a podcast.
2: <laughs> I, I will say one of my favorite things to do every day on the way to work, I have about a, a 15 minute commute, is to listen to a podcast. So there you go. I was actually really excited to be asked to be on it. Thank you very much for that.
1: <laughs> well now your fame will just skyrocket. <laughs> <laughs> Remember us when you're when you're right. way
0: past
2: us. So. Yeah, I, I doubt that will happen. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for joining us today for Let's Talk. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to our podcast. And tune in again soon.